0: When you hear the phrase, respect for authority, does something good happen inside or bad? Because I know, I mean, there are people like, yeah, respect for authority. And there are other people like, authority? You can tell me what to do. Authority is an interesting thing. Because God has instituted authorities in this world, right? I mean, it, it even says... You know, God has instituted governments as authorities to do to do good. You know, the world wouldn't work if there weren't authorities in place to uh, make things work. But then we also read that there are spiritual powers of darkness. You know, basically spiritual authorities that are evil in this world that are doing bad things and are trying to lead people away from God. And we've all probably experienced at different times authorities in our lives that. We're genuinely interested in our good, you know, our parents, grandparents, I mean, people close to us. Maybe you had a, a boss and a job that really, you know, stuck up for you and, and helped you along and mentored you. And you're like, man, that was, that was a good use of authority and you, you very much respected them. Or maybe you've had that boss that was like they should have never been an authority, ever, under any circumstance, should they have been given authority. And we all probably have experienced both of those. And so we get this kind of mixed bag inside when we start thinking about authority, right? You know, we agree, yeah, we need to, you know, children need to learn to respect authority. And then we, eh, maybe we respect good authority. Maybe we have trouble. It, we just kind of get this mixed signal inside. And I think that's exactly what the Corinthians were running into in their questioning of Paul. Because they had come out of a very dark, you know, pagan background. And so we've already talked about their understanding of power and authority was very much a worldly understanding that power is about control. It's about exerting and controlling other people. And they understood authority on those terms where Paul came to them. And remember what he said, we talked about, he said, by the gentleness and meekness in Christ, I implore you, you know, do what God wants you to do. And it's kind of a mixed signal to him because they, they read his letters and they're like, man, this guy really brings it hard and he's really getting on And But when we talk to him, he's just kind of the kindest, gentlest person I've ever met. Now, was there a contradiction between his letters and his person? No, it was their understanding of authority. It was their understanding of power that when they read his letters, they read it through the lens of Oh, man, he's really mad at us, and he wants to exert authority and control us, and he's really bold in his letters. But then when they met him, it didn't match up with their expectations. And Paul understands this. And so in 2 Corinthians 10, 7 through 12, he kind of lays this to rest, and he starts to tell us what authority and edification in the church and in God's kingdom are really about. Because it's not about control. It's not about exerting force on other people to make them do what you want. And any understanding of spiritual authority that that embraces that concept is simply wrong. Because that's not how God works. Anybody in here, has God forced you to do anything? No. Did God force you to get out of bed this morning and come to church? No. You know why? Because He... He gives us choice. And how God wants to exercise authority, you know, could God do it? Absolutely. He could, you know, with a thought, he could make us do whatever he wanted, because he's God, he's all powerful. But the point is that he exercises authority in, in such a way in our lives because he wants us to love him. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to to respect him and love him. You know, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. Well, love cannot be forced. You can't force someone to love you. And so authority always in the kingdom of God has to do with edification. And edification is the building up in the faith, the building up of a person, the maturing of a person in their faith and in their well-being and who they are in Christ. And every time authority is exercised in Scripture in that way, it it always has to do with edification. Now, sometimes that may look and we're like, wow, there's some, you know, some guys like Elijah and Jeremiah, they exercised authority and it it wasn't so pretty. It wasn't pretty because people refused to be edified. Had they listened to Elijah in the Old Testament, there would have been no need for the things that happened. Had they listened to Moses, there would have been no need for the things that happened. Had they listened to Jeremiah and repented... God would not have had to send them into exile. You see, the authority was exercised, but it was after the people refused to be edified and draw closer to God. It was never about forcing them. And Paul kind of grabs onto this concept of edification. So look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. And it says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself We do when present, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Now, as Paul starts to talk about authority and his authority in Christ, the first thing he does is remind them that we are all equal in Christ. There is equality in Christ. You see, sometimes we get this idea that a person in authority is somehow not equal to other people. And that's not what Paul says. No, no, no. You belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. This is all under his lordship. There is genuine equality in Christ. The authority that's given is given for a different reason. It is not to elevate one person above another. And I think sometimes that's where we kind of miss things in, in understanding authority and, and what it is that, that God wants. Because we, we look at authority as somebody being elevated above us rather than looking at it through the lens of how God is functioning and what he wants to happen. And, and so look again in the, verse, the, the first verse. He says, look at what is before your eyes. I love that statement. Look at what is before your eyes. What's he saying? He's saying, look, there is an obvious truth right here. So obvious that all we got to do is stop and just think about it for just a moment. Did you know that sometimes all the time, the most obvious truths are the ones that are going to be most impactful in your life? We just forget it. Like we just we we don't think about it and we kind of get caught up in the weeds, you know, and we we lose the forest for the trees and you know any other cliche you want to use right there. We, we just forget the big major truths that are never going to change no matter what. It doesn't matter, you know, if we're 90 or 9, it doesn't matter. It's never going to change. And Paul says, look at what is right before your eyes. Sometimes the truth is plain and easy to see. We just have to have eyes to see it and ears to hear it and the corinthians rebellion against paul's authority or thinking that there's a better authority you know they, they they were impressed by these people that came along and said oh i'm i'm more of an apostle than paul is and they were teaching false doctrine the whole thing is put to rest when paul says we all belong to christ none of us is above the other in the founding of America. There was a, a, a French philosopher 50 years after the American Revolution that came to America because he wanted to know why the American Revolution had worked. Like, how was it flourishing? How Because a revolution had happened in France and it didn't work out so well. And so he said, "What you know, what's the difference? And, and his name was Francis de Tocqueville. And one of the things he came and he noticed was how in the culture it was permeated that everybody was equal. And he didn't understand how that was able to take. He says, It doesn't matter if if they're this or, or they're this or this, that the, everybody just they, they really genuinely have a belief in the equality of everybody. And we don't he didn't understand that. And he didn't understand it until anybody know what, what happened? He went to church one Sunday. And then he went to another church. And he went to another church. And as he traveled around the the early U.S. attending different worship services, it started to make sense to him, and he said, that's it. They are united in their spiritual belief in God and that nobody is above another in their spiritual system. There is no hierarchy within Christ. And he understood it, and he said the instant that fire from the pulpit disappears from America, that's when America will go away. He he said, this is what is uniting all of them. And Paul kind of does that same thing right here. He's like, look, look, there's an obvious fact right here. We're all equal. We are all equal in God's eyes. And we were all equally lost. And we are all equally saved by grace. You know, a person can't be more saved than another. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, they're probably more of a Christian than this person. How, How can you be more saved? You're either saved or you're not saved. You're either born again or dead in sin. You can't be more saved than someone else. And when we really understand that and we we kind of file it away in our heart and our mind, we understand, hey, we're all equal here. We are all saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and nobody stands above anyone else. And those who are more mature in the faith... They they really kind of grab hold of that and they're like, oh no, I'm not better than anybody. In fact, the more mature you get, what did we say recently? The more mature in Christ you get, the more aware of your own sin you become. The more mature you get, the more humble you become because you're like, man, I really need grace. I need God. Man, I need Him more now than I did before. I knew I was bad before, but now I know I'm really bad. And I need Him even more. And, and so... The, the Corinthians had this kind of worldly understanding where they were impressed with appearances, with eloquent rhetoric of the time. You know, rhetoric was a big deal in the, the Greek culture and the Roman culture. They, they had places where people would literally just go up and stand and just give speeches to see if they could impress people. And people would listen. They'd write, oh yeah, that was good. You know, golf clap, you know, speech clap. And, and they, they really, they just tried to impress each other with these kind of things. And the Corinthians had grown up in that culture. So this isn't like some major failing on their part. It was just they were learning and what they knew as normal, they're now learning and growing out of that and realizing, no, we are all equal and I don't need to judge people based on eloquent speech or their appearances or their so-called credentials. We're all equal. And that's what Paul, he says, open up your eyes and look. There's an obvious fact right here that you're missing that's causing you trouble. It's causing them pain, and that is, he says, look, they say that you think you belong to Christ. No, I equally belong to Christ. What's the common denominator? We both belong to Christ. We're equal. Nobody is above another. Now, understand, I said, you know, in American history, this is kind of our thing, the equality of people. It, it really is. This is not common in world history. Okay, throughout every culture, I mean, all the time, there was a genuine belief that there were people who were literally worth more in God's eyes than other people. Along racial lines, along cultural lines, they didn't, I mean, there was just this belief in the superiority of people over other people. That's why slavery existed throughout every empire in the world forever because man believed there were other men and women who were beneath them. And so when Jesus came along... And he taught, and then he was resurrected, and the church started to spread. It was for everybody, and this was so revolutionary. I mean, this was probably one of the most revolutionary things that ever hit the world was that it didn't matter if you were the emperor or you were the lowest slave washing people's feet. You all could come to Jesus and be equal. That was, it was amazingly revolutionary. And so Paul had to literally walk people through, the early church had to walk people through how to incorporate this in their lives. If you grew up in a culture that taught these people are worthless, and then you get saved and you go to church and that person is now sitting right next to you, and you're calling them brother or sister? You think that's not gonna be a little unnerving for a time? You're gonna be like, how does this work? And you're like, oh yeah, Jesus saved all of us. But they're a slave, and I'm a noble person. Oh, no, no, we're all slaves of Christ. We're all equal. Yeah, but can't they sit over there? (laughs) Oh, no, 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 that's not how this works. And they all had to come to terms with this, okay? They had to learn it. And so Paul said this in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, and I say all of that to kind of set the revolutionary nature of what this is. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That was the major racial distinction of the day. They dealt with racism. Racism is nothing new. This was as deeply ingrained a racist belief as there ever was. And what does Paul come along? He says, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's over. It's over. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. What's that? That's a social distinction. Gone. There is no male and female. Gender inequality, hey, guess what? Nope, off the table. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So he just said it doesn't matter. In this statement, Paul erases all racial, cultural, political, and even biological reasons the world has for one group's superiority over another. Erased, gone. That's revolutionary. And what I love, I love this, is that Paul starts this argument with, look at the obvious. This is a revolutionary, world-changing idea, and it has changed it. Okay, we are here freely today worshiping the way we are because this took root and continued to grow and spread throughout the world. And Paul says this is one of the basics. This is the obvious truth that anybody in Christ should be able to grab hold of, is that we're all equal. We all belong to him. And so, Paul had to defend his apostleship because the false teachers came in and said they were more Christian than him. They're more apostles. And that's where he says, no, the obvious. Either I'm in Christ or I'm not. I belong to Christ, you belong to Christ, we all belong to him. That's it. And so this, this whole series is called The Treasures of the Faith, This is truly one of the greatest treasures of the faith. We are all equal in Christ. Nobody stands above another. Nobody. We all worship Jesus Christ. You know, there are times people find out I'm a pastor and and they start, you know, they change their behavior. And I find it humorous sometimes because I may be around people and maybe they're swearing or doing whatever, whatever. And then they're like, oh, he's a pastor. And people are like, I'm sorry. And I want to look at him, and I don't, but I want to look at him and say, don't apologize to me. You're not going to stand before me on judgment day. I am not offended by you as a person. That, that's, you, you're getting this wrong. I'm going to be down there with you on judgment day. Looking at the cross, worshiping him. Looking at Jesus and worshiping him, not the cross looking at Jesus and worshiping him, just like everyone else. Because we are all equal in God's eyes. Now, you know, this is how God always wanted it. While Christianity may have been where it, where it really took root and finally was able to, to be shown in the world, what was one of the greatest commandments? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. Going all the way back to the Mosaic Law, God's like, hey, you're all equal. You better love your neighbor just like you love yourself. You better see them as equally important to you. And and so this is what James comes along. And he says in James 2, 8, and 9, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, in this case, he was saying partiality towards the wealthy. But this is any kind of prejudice. This is any prejudice that we look at anybody and say, you are beneath me. Or partiality, you are above me. See, we always want to look at it as looking down on others, right? We always look at it as like, oh, yeah, nobody's beneath anybody. The flip side of that's true. Nobody's above anybody either. And I am not loving my neighbor as myself if I put them on a pedestal to which they do not belong. That is not fair to them. And it's not fair to God. God has said, you're all equal. And so we can't elevate nor can we devalue anybody. We all are created in God's image. And so, as we look at that, that truth is never going to change. Okay, Nothing God is going to do is ever going to change the equality we have in Christ with each other. So when God puts a person in authority, is God elevating them above others? No. So what is he doing? Authority is then God using somebody to edify, to build up another person where they are weak. You ever had somebody come into your life who was good at something that you weren't and they helped you and moved you forward in life were they above you no were they better at something than you yeah and god used them to help you improve it didn't mean god put them over you or that their worth was greater it's just that they complimented you and and this is what paul says in, in ephesians he says god Christ gave the church gifts, and it says he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some pastors and teachers, that there are these things that God will gift people to be able to do to help others, but it's not placing anybody above anyone else. It is for edification. It is for building them up. Now, we can see this was always God's plan, because when we look at parenting, parenting done right is what? It's building them up. From the time they're little, it's turning them from from little people into big people that are useful for society and good citizens in the world, right? It is not to make a clone of yourself. It is not to have an extension of yourself that you can point to in the world and say, oh, look, at what a great job I did. It, It is to build them up according to their need, according to who they are, point them to God, and set them loose, right? So authority is for edification. It is for the good. It is to be exercised for the good of other people. And in God's kingdom, authority that is not exercised for the good of other people is abuse. Okay? They are abusing their position that God has given them as an authority. And it is sinful. So listen to what Paul says here. Because this is, this is where sometimes this can be confusing. In verse eight, he says, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, see, maybe Paul boasts, he talks about being an authority. And if your understanding of authority is that he has control and power over other people, then boasting about it is like bragging, right? And that's what we think of it. But Paul says, no, he's proud of the fact he gets to help other people. That's it. He's proud of the fact that God has made him an apostle when he didn't deserve to be an apostle. And he points that out over and over in his writings. He's like, it wasn't my idea, but God did it. And by God's grace, I am what I am. But he's proud of it. So he says, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. And then verse 9, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present. You see, this isn't a threat. They they understood power in such a way that they thought Paul was threatening them. And when somebody threatens us, what's our common response? Well, bring it. We get defensive. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm trying to do here. And that's where he says, I appeal to you by the gentleness and meekness of Christ. I, I'm, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to look big and tough like you know who I am. When I'm with you, you've been unimpressed every time. But he says, but I am who I am. So if I talk about, you know, I need to set the record straight, when I show up, I'm going to set the record straight. But that doesn't mean I've got to crack heads along the way to do it. He is a gentle and meek person. And so godly authority, rightly exercised, lifts others up according to their need. It directs people to Jesus and aids them in letting go of sin. You can't force people to let go of sin, but you can walk the path with them. You can love them enough that they understand they can let go of it and that it is safe. There are lots of people in this world that simply need confession. And I mean that. They have struggles in their lives that all they need is a safe person to talk to, and they would be able to move on. And unfortunately, too many of our churches have become places that are not safe to deal with sin. Doesn't that seem weird? I I mean, that just seems really, it's always been. That's something that I'm always like, that seems weird to me. If our goal is to walk closer to God and walk closer to Him, the church should be the place where people can come in and say, I'm struggling with this sin. And not be judged for it. Now, when I say not judged, I don't mean swept under the rug and everybody's like, oh, well, we just, you know, that's fine. Keep living in it. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that people say, okay, we get that. We're going to pray with you and we're going to circle the wagons. We're going to help you and we're going to help you move beyond this. And we're going to show you that we love you no matter what. Because your identity is not attached to that sin. Who you are is a person that God sent his son to die for and you are born again and you are defined by his love, not your failings. Amen. That's what we should do as a church. That's what I want our small groups to turn into is a place where people can literally take off the mask and talk about heart struggles that they may have so that confession can happen, prayer can happen, and healing can happen. And guess what? It's authority. It is edification. Because you know what confession is? It is submitting yourself to the authority of another. I have this struggle. I need help. To ask for help means you are submitting an authority to another person to aid you in moving forward. It is not them exercising control and power over you. And so spiritual authority rightly practiced... Now, please get this, does not belittle, coerce, manipulate, lie, or bully others into agreement. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been in churches where maybe people did that. Where they guilted you into action. Where they treated you like something was wrong with you because you were a human being who struggled. I will never forget one place I was. The person that had preceded me was very much a spiritual bully. And and I say that, I'm not proud. It just was very much a spiritual bully. And I remember having a, a, a mature person, a Christian who genuinely loved God, came to me and said, I'm so grateful to finally have a pastor who I'm not afraid of. My heart sank. I just thought, My gosh shouldn't be like that and, and, and when I say that I mean that is not the rightful exercise of authority and so I want you all to know as your pastor I'm here for you I can't solve every problem okay if you bring me every problem you have I'm going to give them back to you uh, okay and I'll pray with you over it and say yeah that may be a long list and we'll pray about that but Look, I want you to know I am here for you though. And the tools that God has given me and the gifts that he's given me, I want to use them to help edify you. To help you see your worth in Christ. To help you walk faithfully with Christ. It's not a power trip. It's not about me building my church so that I have a name. I don't care if nobody else in this world knows my name. I really don't. And, you know, that is a change. I can say there was a time I wanted to build the ministry. You know, I, wanted, I was, I was kind of trying to do everything I could to, to get noticed and to, to build the church and to have this. And, yeah, those days are gone because I don't care anymore about that. I care about being faithful, and I care about those of you that God has put in front of me. I want to exercise the right kind of authority. You see in Matthew 20:25 20, through 28 Jesus put it best. It says but Jesus called to them called them to him and said you know that the rulers of the gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. The whole point of authority in the kingdom of God is the edification and the betterment of other people. And Jesus modeled that to perfection in His life. Everything He did was so that others could be raised up. So that others could be saved from their sin. So that others could experience life. And that's what we are to do here. Every one of us is to have some kind. Listen, if you are a born-again child of God, you have spiritual authority in this world. Okay, you do. But it's not worldly authority. So it's not the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it nonsense that we hear that's like, oh, I'm just going to speak power into this. That's not what this is about. What did Jesus say? He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me Therefore, go and what? Build your empire? Make disciples. Help other people know Jesus. Help other people walk faithfully. You have authority from God to do that very thing. When you have authority from God to do something, he's saying, you can do it. I will make it happen in your life but we have way too many Christians that think that that authority is about exercising some kind of control over the world around us and forcing things to happen, and that's not what it's about. Authority is about edification. And so if a spiritual leader belittles, is short-tempered, impatient, manipulative, rest assured they are building their kingdom, not God's. And so... Paul's authority as an apostle was real, and it needed to be respected. And we've seen that throughout 2 Corinthians. as you know, He will defend himself and say, look, God has called me to this. This is, this is real. I don't want to scare you. I'm not trying to frighten you. But I do have this authority. And so that's in verse 9. He says, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. He's not trying to control them, but he is pointing them towards the truth. And sometimes being pointed towards the truth can be very disruptive, right? Sometimes it can be jarring. Sometimes it can be downright scary and and even hurt. Sometimes there can be real emotional pain in learning the truth and letting go of something and moving a different direction. Sometimes that can be very, very jarring and and, and difficult. Paul understands this, and he's not about to you know, kind of shy away from telling them they need to stop the things that they're doing. But he exercises it in love. He exercises it in grace. And he tells I don't want to frighten you. This isn't about frightening you. I'm not trying to scare you into obedience. I want you to see the blessing that you have. I want you to see the damage that this sin is doing. He's not trying to frighten Anybody? And so as we move into this idea of authority being edification, if we start looking at it in our own lives about who we are, what we're doing, we need to make sure we are measuring against the right standard. Have you ever had somebody set the bar too low on something? You know how we know when we set the bar too low? When we point out bad behavior to just, we point out worse behavior to to justify bad behavior. Yeah, hey, you did this. Yeah, but at least I didn't do that. You know, we try to deflect it all of a sudden to like, hey, there's something worse out here. Don't look at me. That's when we've set the bar too low. (laughs) Okay? And so we've got to use the right standard. And this is what Paul now kind of latches onto and points them towards. Because the Corinthians were using the wrong standard. They were using a worldly standard that, uh, uh, here's what impresses me, so this is obviously what is good. And Paul says, no, no, maybe I'm unimpressive in person, and my rhetoric is weak, and I'm you know, not what you would think of as this amazing leader that you want to follow, but it's about the truth, not about the person. And so their standard was wrong. And, and so listen to what paul the way Paul puts this in verse 12. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. If you don't know, that was just a spiritual backhand to some people who were corrupting the truth of God, who were trying to build their own little kingdoms within the Corinthian church. And they're commending themselves. They're saying, look at me. I'm awesome. Follow me. I have the answers. I can handle all of this. In a word, they were narcissistic. And Paul says, yeah, I'm not going to get into a comparing match with them. Because that's not what I'm about. He's pointing them to Jesus. They were pointing them to themselves. And Paul says he won't do that. And so he says, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. What he says is they've set the bar too low. Yeah, maybe they speak better than me. So what? Yeah, maybe they're a more imposing presence than me. So what? It's about the truth. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ. And so Paul refuses to compare himself with those who are attacking him. And he points out the folly, what they're doing, because we are not the standard. OK, I, as your pastor, am not the standard. Now, I want to point you to Christ. But look, I'm not perfect either. I will let you down at some point. Now, I, I pray that one, day, you know, it's not anything horrible or whatever. But I mean, at some point, I'll, I'll say something. I'll do something You'll be like, I don't think I like that. You know why? Because I'm not Jesus. And so what Paul does is he says, we don't compare by one another. I don't look at other people and say, okay, I want to be like them. They've got their act together. You know what you're setting yourself up for when you do that? Disappointment. And I mean heartbreaking disappointment. Because you can look at somebody and and really be impressed with their faithfulness and everything and then find out even the smallest thing and it just shatters that picture because you know what you just found out? They're human. And you had elevated them to a pedestal where they weren't human. And to find out that they're human brings them back down and now you feel lost. Whereas if we have Jesus as the standard and Scripture as the authority then we see the equality within the body. We see the functioning within the body that, yeah, you're good at this, you're good at this. Hey, working together, great things can happen. We all have a part to play in this. We all are working together, and something much bigger than the parts combined happens in a church because God is present, and he makes it happen. And here's the thing. When it's of God and a church really starts to grow You know it's of God when no one person really is elevated in the process. When it just grows and the only person that gets the credit is Jesus. And we're able to say, oh, we have this. And, man, they're really good at this. And they're they're really good at this. And yet, nobody stands above another. It's not about anybody's reputation. It's all working together to say this is about Jesus Christ. And they keep the standard on him. And so Jesus is the standard, Scripture is the authority. And so, whereas the apostles were the authority when they were on earth, okay, they had that authority, their authority when they died passed into what we call the New Testament. Okay, the apostolic authority is you now transferred into the Scriptures themselves, the apostolic writings, because that's what the New Testament is. And so, that authority transferred into that. And so, What was the message of the apostles that was saved? Well, it's easy. One, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because there's no other name given under heaven by which you must be saved. You want to sum up the apostolic message, that's it. Get saved. Be reconciled to God. Today is the day of salvation. Accept him. Be born again because he's coming back one day and you want to be on the right side of that. That is the message. And then the second part of their message, while they were alive was found in 1 Corinthians 11. What did Paul say? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So who are they really imitating here? Jesus. He says, when you see anything in me that points you to Jesus, do that. You see anything in me that doesn't point you to Jesus, don't do that. Now, Paul was willing to put himself out there. I remember the first time I read that in my life as a teenager, and he said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. I thought, man, that's, that's putting yourself out there. I mean, that's being pretty confident in your walk of like, look, if you see something good in me, go ahead and copy it. But he was an apostle. He was called to lead people in that manner. And so how do we do that now? We don't compare to each other people will let you down and if we start comparing one of us to another if we start measuring spirituality based on you know are we doing better than someone else that's just wrong and, and when i say wrong i mean it's wrong at every level we're we're now looking for the wrong thing we are now I- enjoying success in the wrong thing our spirituality is not a competition between us do, do you know that i mean it's not you know can you be more spiritual than this person can this person be more spiritual than this person that's That is divisive, that that is unhealthy in every fashion. In fact, here's how Paul says it. In Galatians 6, 2 through 4, he says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Let him test his own work. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Compare yourself to Jesus in your own faithfulness. Now, I know some of you are like, well, then I always fail. No, that's not what this is about. When you say compare yourself to Jesus, I'm not saying, you know, unless you're sinless, you can say, oh, I failed completely. What he's saying is you know if you're being faithful. You know if you're walking with him. You know in your heart if you are doing the things that God is calling you to do. And don't worry about if somebody else is or not. You just do it. And if you are following God, then he says you can take pride in your own work of like, you know what? I'm being faithful. I am. I am trying to be faithful. I know where I'm not, and I'm praying for forgiveness, and, and, and I lift it up to God, but I know who I am in Christ, and I feel good about that. That's okay. You know, that is not spiritual pride. That's called confidence. That is what faith does for a person. You know who you are in Christ, and you're not threatened by somebody else's success. In fact, you rejoice in it. When you're a mature Christian, you rejoice in somebody else obeying God because you you see it and you're like, this is awesome. I want God to be glorified in in everything. And and so as the body of Christ, just as Paul did with the Corinthians, we today should do two things. One, be faithful ourselves. And two, help others be faithful. And I got simple, didn't it? Well, what did Paul say? He says, open your eyes. The obvious is right there. This is what we are called to do. Spiritual authority is about edification. And we all have that authority to help edify other people in this world. You want to see God do amazing things? Help other people walk with him and watch what he does. Stop worrying about yourself so much. God's got you. You don't have to be perfect to help edify another person. You'll grow through that same process and God will bless it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you this morning and God, I thank you for each and every person in here. God, I thank you for the work that you are doing here at Grace Family Fellowship. God, I pray that you are glorified in every way. God, that you are the center, you are the focus, you are the standard. God, I pray that you make us a people. God, who follow the authority of Scripture, who love one another, who edify one another. God, as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. One person sharpens another. God, I pray that we would be that people. Nobody standing above another. Nobody building their own kingdom, but God, all of us working together to build your kingdom. God, when something good happens, we would be able to join together and sing your praises because of it, to give you thanks. God, I pray that you protect the unity of this church, that we would be unified by your spirit, your kingdom, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that we would guard that as you want us to. God, that you would guard it. And that by our love for one another, God, people would know that we are your disciples. God, that is our prayer. Help us to live in the authority that you have given us, God, to bring edification to others. To shine your light in this world, to make disciples. God, it's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.